Good morning. I'm Pastor Mark, and I welcome you to this uh, Youth Sunday, a great celebration of our youth ministry. Thank you for being a part of that. We are in the midst of something we're calling the 90-Day Challenge. We are journeying our way through the book of Acts. Every week, we are reading one chapter of the book of Acts. If you don't have one of these journals, you can pick one up in the back, or you can get them online. What we're trying to do is dig deep into that. We're going to try to stew for a week in one chapter of Scripture as we are journeying through the acts of what we call the Holy Spirit, the acts of the Holy Spirit. For He is the star of Luke's second volume, the book of Acts. We see the Holy Spirit at work in a, in a powerful way, and we're getting to know Him better and better. We are understanding that the, the Holy Spirit is a, a, a member, one of the persons of the Trinity. We understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a thing. He is a he and not an it. And we have seen him at work since the beginning of Genesis verse, chapter 1, verse 2, when the Holy Spirit was hovering over the face of the deep in creation. <clears throat> but he appears and then he withdraws. He appears and withdraws. And this morning... This morning we come to the second most important day in the history of the Christian church. What's the most important day of the history of the Christian church? Easter, right, Resurrection Day. Without the resurrection of Jesus, we might as well fold up our tents and go home, right? So it's all about the resurrection of Christ. But Christ having been raised to new life, then comes the second most important day in the history of the Christian church. And I want to tell you about that in a story from the second chapter of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all gathered together in the same place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were in Jerusalem, staying there, Jews from, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because they heard them speaking in their own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not these Galileans who are speaking? How is it then that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them. And they said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven and he raised his voice and he addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, 
This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my sons and daughters, both men and women, they will be filled with the spirit and all will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and I will show signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of that great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter went on to tell them the story of a man named Jesus of Nazareth, who had done wondrous works and miracles and signs, but his own people had handed him over to wicked men who executed him by nailing him to a cross. Ah, but death did not have the last word, for on the third day God raised him back up to life, just as, just as King David had prophesied in the Psalms. And then Peter continues to his conclusion. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to their hearts. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God will call. With many more words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day.
now we can leave this place. Now spread his word. Pentecost was one of the three great festivals of the Jewish people. Every year, Jews who lived within a certain distance of Jerusalem were expected to come to the celebration of Pentecost, which took place 50 days after Passover, Pentecost. That's why we call it Pentecost. And so they would come, and on the day of Pentecost, in that celebration, the streets of Jerusalem would swell by hundreds of thousands of people. Everyone was on the streets celebrating and feasting and and worshiping. It was a, a, a maelstrom of activity and noise and excitement. But on that Pentecost, the 120 followers of Jesus were not out on the streets. No, they were up in a room, an upper room, and they were praying and they were waiting. What were they waiting for? Well, we heard last week from Pastor Megan what they were waiting for. Jesus, the risen Christ, gave two seemingly contradictory commands to his disciples before he returned to heaven with the Father. On the one hand, he said, I want you to go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the earth. I want you to go and make disciples. Well, that's a long distance and that's a lot of work, so they probably should get started, right? Wrong. He says, but before you go, I want you to wait. I want you to wait in Jerusalem until I send you the gift that my Father has promised. So which was it? Go, wait, go, wait. Well, the last word was wait. And so they waited. They went to that upper room and they waited and they prayed continuously for 10 days. And then came the day of Pentecost. And God kept his promise. Boy, did he keep his promise. Luke can hardly find the words to describe what took place in that room. He says... He says it was a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. He said they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and rested upon each of their heads. We use the word awesome so much today that it's meaningless. But if ever there was an account in Scripture that would be described appropriately as awesome, some awe, full of awe, it was this day, it was this moment, this Pentecost. But the most important description that we have of what took place there is not about the fire or the wind. It was what happened to the disciples themselves. That group of 120 men and women who were gathered there, we are told by Luke that they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Say it like you actually believe here is possible to do it. Filled with the Holy Spirit. It's the first time that we're going to hear that phrase, but it's the first of seven times. Seven times in his book, he's going to say that specifically, and again and again we're going to see the results of that infilling. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with the Holy Spirit. The acts of the Holy Spirit is the story of what happens when God's people wait and are filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what goes on here. Obviously, this was the gift that Jesus had promised They were told to wait so that they could be filled with the Holy Spirit to do what God was calling them to do. But there's something that's puzzling about this. The question is, didn't they already have the Holy Spirit? I want to take you back about 50 days earlier. It was Easter day. They had already come to the tomb, already found that the tomb was empty. 
Mary Magdalene has already met, met the risen Christ and, and the disciples Peter and, and John ran to the tomb and saw at least with their own eyes that the tomb was empty. So we read that night that they were gathered in an upper room. Could it be the same upper room? And it was locked. The doors were locked. Why? For fear of the Jews. So even though the resurrection has occurred, they're still frightened. And we read that Jesus comes to them. He appears, and really it seems mysteriously, magically coming through the walls. He appears before them behind closed doors. His first words to them were, peace, shalom. In fact, he says it twice because I think they needed extra peace. They were terrified. Shalom, shalom. And then we read this phrase. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. So the question is, did the apostles, did the disciples, did they receive the Holy Spirit or not? Did they have the Holy Spirit or did they not have the Spirit until Pentecost? Which? And the answer is both. The answer is yes. They had the Holy Spirit, but they received the Holy Spirit in fullness, in power, when Pentecost came. The upper room, that moment when Jesus did... It was like an hors d'oeuvre. But there was a feast that was waiting for them 50 days later. It was on Pentecost Day that the Holy Spirit would come and would be poured out upon them and filled to the point of overflowing. So it wasn't just... It was going to be... That was Pentecost. We need to understand this. Today, we need to understand this. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we... Ask Him to save us and to take away our sins. And we bow before Him as Lord and ask Him to change us from the inside out. It is the Holy Spirit that does this. You are not a Christian if you do not have the Holy Spirit in you. But I want you to think about it this way. Here's you. When you receive Jesus... The Holy Spirit comes. Is the Holy Spirit in you? Is the Holy Spirit in you? Yes. But God wants more than that. Wants more than to save you. God wants to do this with you. Not just a little bit of the Spirit. God wants to fill you and fill you and fill you to the point of of me fainting. I might just sit down here for a second. Fill you Please, God. Please, love me. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do. That's what God wants to do in you. Not just a little of Him, not just enough to save you, but fill you to overflowing. Some denominations call this the the second blessing or the, the second baptism. I reject this teaching. 
The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the Ephesians in chapter 5 of Ephesians, he said, do not be drunk in the wine, which is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And the words he used there in the Greek actually mean be continually filled in the Spirit or be filled over and over again in the Spirit. As followers of Jesus, we don't want to just have one filling or two fillings. We don't want a second blessing. We want a third blessing and a fourth blessing and a fifth blessing and a sixth and seventh. We want a millionth blessing, don't we? We want all that the Spirit wants to do in us and that is what Paul teaches us. So why do we need this refilling, this refilling of the Spirit? Why do we need the refilling of the Spirit? Because we leak. Because we leak. In in our lust, in our faithlessness, in our doubt, in our busyness, in our anxiety, in our worry, we leak. And suddenly we realize that we're not walking in the Spirit. Suddenly we realize that we are not producing the fruit of the Spirit and that we lack power and we lack courage and we lack conviction. And we realize we need a refill. And once again we pray for the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us, fill us, fill us to overflowing. I want you to notice two things that happened when Paul and the rest of the apostles allowed themselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. First of all, they were empowered. Would you say that? They were empowered. They were empowered. When you hear Peter preach this sermon, you can hardly believe it's the same guy we know. Isn't that true? This is the braggart who on the night of Jesus' betrayal said, I don't care what anyone else does. I will never betray you. I will never deny you. I will lay down my life for you. By the end of that night, he had denied he even knew Jesus three times. Peter was a broken man. And even when we see him on John 21, remember that account where they go fishing together? Even when we see him there, we have a sense that Peter is just beaten down. He is despondent. He is disgusted with himself. He knows that the Lord is risen great, but he is an utter failure, has nothing to offer, and so he says, let's just go fish. That's something I know how to do. Let's go fish. And then comes Pentecost. And the rush of a mighty wind and tongues that seem to rest on top. They're dancing around on the heads of, of every person in that room. And suddenly, Peter is a new man. The man who once denied that he even knew Jesus now stands up and raises his voice and preaches to the thousands. Not only does he acknowledge Jesus, he goes for the jugular. Did you notice that? He goes for the jugular. We're having a Pentecostal moment right here. <laughs> They're dancing on my head. Jesus, did, you, did you hear those words? He says, therefore, let all Christ be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, Lord and Savior. Doesn't sound like meek and mild Peter anymore, does it? Doesn't sound like the sissy Peter anymore. He's not pulling any punches. He says, you, you are responsible for the execution of your own Messiah. God willed it, God used it, but you are responsible and you need to own up to this. How do you account for the transformation of this man who denied he even knew Jesus to one who's willing to stand in front of thousands and declare the truth, the hard truth about what they had done to the Messiah? It can only be explained, this transformation, in one way, and that is this. 
he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Say, filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered. The other thing we see is the Holy Spirit interpreted. The Holy Spirit interpreted. The most mysterious part about that first uh, Pentecost was that all of the apostles were given a foreign tongue to speak. They were enabled to speak tongues they had never learned and that the foreigners who had come visiting from thousands of miles away suddenly were able to hear the wonders of God proclaimed in their own tongues. You heard that long list, didn't you? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, and, and so forth. Fifteen different uh, different. Uh, language groups are mentioned in this list. Paul, Luke tells us that they were astounded, they were perplexed, they were utterly amazed at what they were experiencing. And they were particularly amazed, especially because these men were Galileans. Did you hear them mention that? Aren't these men who are speaking to us Galileans? Do you know why they were saying that? Because the Galileans were considered the hillbillies of their time. They were the rednecks. They were the uneducated doofuses of their time. That's what they thought of Galileans. And yet here were these uneducated doofuses who were speaking 15 different languages and proclaiming the wonders of God's work in his Messiah, Jesus. And it blew their minds. Later on in Acts and in other books of the New Testament, we're going to learn about one of the mysterious gifts of the Holy Spirit, which is the ability to pray in an unknown tongue, which is unknown unless God also gives someone the gift of the interpretation of that tongue. Let me just be clear. That's not what's going on here. That's not what's happening here. At Pentecost, they did not receive tongues that hid meaning. They received tongues that revealed meaning. They did not received tongues that needed to be interpreted. They received tongues that were the interpretation of what God wanted to tell all of his gathered children in that place in that day. And so what happened when this Holy Spirit anointed apostle preached the power of the resurrected Christ? Did you see the response of the people when they sat under this anointed preaching? It said they were, what? Cut to the heart. Don't you love that? They were cut to the heart. May the Holy Spirit cut us to the heart every time we hear from him. They were cut to the heart and they asked Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter responds with this magnificent response. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And the people received that gift And we are told that on that first Pentecost, 3,000 people were baptized and confessed faith in Christ. And that was just the start. That was just the start. Is there anyone here this morning who does not need the same gifts of the Holy Spirit? We want to be brave. We want to witness to our faith with courage, but we are timid and we are frightened and we are embarrassed How is it that the deniers of Jesus, as we often are, how is it that we become the declarers of Jesus? Only one way. When we are filled with His Holy Spirit. 
And there are some who might have the courage to speak, but we don't know the words. We're afraid that we will stumble our, over ourselves. We are afraid that we'll be outmaneuvered, that we won't have the logic or, the, or the, the sense to make of the story. And so we're frightened about that. We are afraid that we don't know how to speak the gospel of Jesus into a culture that denies that God even exists and embraces immorality. So when we... When we, tongue-tied gig gig harborites, are willing to proclaim the gospel, how are we going to do it? It's when we are filled with the Holy Spirit who translates our words into the language of those that we love. I'm afraid that Presbyterians tend to be suspicious of the Holy Spirit. He's kind of odd, kind of mysterious, kind of, of emotional. And that's too bad. Because when you have Presbyterians who take the Holy Spirit seriously, who receive His gifts and His power and His wisdom, when you have a group of believers, well, like this group gathered in this upper room right here that says, yes, Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me today and tomorrow and every day of my life so that I can do everything you call me to do. When you have such willing vessels, the Holy Spirit does amazing things. What would happen? What would, <laughs> what would happen if the people of this church said for one month, every day, when we rise in the morning, we're going to say, Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, fill me up. Fill me up to overflowing. I'm ready to do what you empower me to do. Fill me up. What would happen if we did that? I challenge you to do that. Make that your opening prayer. Your eyes open up. Your head still on the pillow. The first thing you say, Holy Spirit, fill me up. I'm ready to go. Fill me to overflowing. If we do that, this community will be shaken and this church will be shaken too. And so I say to you, I call all of us to cry out that prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Say it with me. Come, Holy Spirit. Say it again. Come, Holy Spirit. One more. Come, Holy Spirit.